Today, we're talking to Chris Richards. Chris had been an athlete for most of his life and lived a very active lifestyle, including the occasional night out dancing. He worked as a senior research and development engineer for a medical device company in New Jersey. But Chris was injured in 2007 when he was 35. And by the time he turned 39, he had to curtail his active lifestyle and leave his job on disability. Hello, and welcome to Life Over Pain, a podcast where people with chronic pain and traumatic brain injury share their stories of life, value, and resilience. I'm Patty Freeman Evans, and these stories help me reframe my thinking and to approach my day from a point of view I would never have thought of before. I find the honesty with which these people tell their stories to be inspiring, courageous, and full of hope. I hope you do too. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Patty. Um, uh, yeah, it's a privilege to be here, and I'm happy to share my story. I guess it all started in 2007. I was, as you mentioned in the intro, I was a pretty active athletic guy uh, in my mid-30s, working as an engineer in New Jersey. And uh, right around, I'd say, the fall of 2007, I, I started experiencing some hip discomfort along the side of my legs during a martial arts class. And I started having discomfort along the side of my legs during a martial arts class. And when I say martial arts, I use the term loosely. It was something called push hands, which is, it's like the next step up when you learn Tai Chi. So it wasn't a very violent form of martial arts at all. It was uh-huh. very gentle, almost more like, almost more like a yoga you know, there was a lot of stretching and flexibility associated with it, but it wasn't like impactful or, you know, we weren't sparring or anything like that. We were doing a very basic grounding exercise where you learn to kind of feel someone's intention or aggression towards you and learn to kind of avoid it, dodge it and move out of the way. So you required some some basic flexibility, which I didn't seem to have in my legs, especially along the side of my legs, and I developed some discomfort for it from doing the exercise. Didn't think much of it. Felt like a sprain. I talked to the teacher. He just said, yeah, your legs have been tight from playing basketball. I played basketball for most of my life. I mean, you probably just have some tight muscles in there that need to loosen up. So, right, right. Yep. So over time, it just didn't go away, and it would come and go, and, you know, I was still pretty much doing the rest of my life with just a little bit of discomfort, taking some Advil after class, and um, that was by around Christmas, yeah, right around the holidays, I had a class, right after class, I remember the pain skyrocketed, and I was just like, wow, this is this is something different, this isn't you know, this isn't just what this guy is talking about, my my teacher. It just isn't a sprain. It isn't my legs need to be loosening up. It's something that my body really isn't liking here. So I quit. And I just quit the class. I told the teacher, I said, yeah, too much pain. It's not working out for me. I'm going to go rest and, you know, and then get better. And assuming that, you know, just stop doing the exercise, it would improve over time. Like every other sprain or injury I've had before that, 
So a month later, I did the rest. I did the ice. I did the medicine. A month later, it's still not better. I go see a doctor. He takes x-rays, does all the preliminary stuff. Yeah, gives me some stronger medicine. Says, you know, you'll be fine in a month. month later, come back to him. Not better. It's, it's actually starting to feel worse. And it's feeling... I think sitting was really the problem with it. Whatever these muscles or tendons were on the side were um, didn't like the sitting position. And I, being an engineer, I sat a lot during the day, so it was it was really being stressed and not being allowed to rest, I guess, and heal. So he sent me to physical therapy. The doctor sent me to physical therapy, and it helped with the left leg. It was on both sides but it didn't help with the right leg. So hmm. it just, yeah, so it became kind of this puzzling, you know, just that dull ache. I don't know if you've ever sprained, you know, an ankle or something. It's like a, it's a many, dull. Many, many, <laughs> many times. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it was just that. It was just a little deeper and a little more intense than what you'd normally feel. And it kind of persisted and it was starting to last longer and it was starting to, radiate a little bit into you know into the leg down the leg a little bit and it was just it was just growing instead of you know uh instead of receding or getting less yeah. so uh we i eventually i tried some more therapy we tried some different exercises and the doctors were looking and they, they really they did some mris you know the, the progression of of treatments uh and eventually i was in new jersey at the time this went on for like a year, so it's 2007 is when it started. 2008, I'm doing physical therapy. At the end of 2008, it started really. It took an, another nosedive. It really started. The pain started flaring. It was almost changing. The pain was flaring. But I was mostly, you know, I had to give up uh, athletic activities. With I was involved with basketball, as I said. I like to hike, bike, some tennis. Did some some dancing and all that I had to go away but most of my life was still kind of grinning and bearing it and working and, and doing all that sort of thing so uh, by the end of 2008 it it um it got really bad and then the, my physical therapist I remember said you got to go in to New York City you're you're right mm-hmm. next to the city there's a, a hospital for special surgeries right. is one of the best in the world in orthopedic injuries. You got to go see these guys and and then just really we got to figure out what's going on with you because it's not, you know, you get the resource. Let's use it. And this is this is this shouldn't be. You know, and you should path. be you should be getting better. You're resting. You're doing all the right things. It should be getting better. Yeah. What well, what kind of doctors were you seeing besides just physical therapists? I was seeing orthopedic doctors and I think they're yeah. called physical medicine, rehabilitation. Some doctors did surgery and some just did more injections and that sort of thing. And I, they, they, they recommended injections, cortisone injections, but at the time mm-hmm. I was I was a little leery because of, you really don't know what the injury is, so I'm not too – and I didn't I didn't know too many things about cortisone injections, and I, so I was a little leery of something invasive without a real clear diagnosis. I'm yep. curious about one thing. Did you do a bunch of, uh, like, Internet research? About it uh, or about cortisone at the time? I think I went to, yeah. like, I mean, I looked up hip pain, and mm. yes, and where it's, it's along the side of the, the um, leg, there's something called an IT band, iliotibial yeah. band, which yeah. I guess 
people kept popping up in all my searches and and the doctors kept checking me for it and that didn't seem to even though the location was where it was it didn't seem to coincide with uh what the treatments and the um how it responded to treatments were like there mm. were some inconsistencies yeah so yeah. with with the prognosis was yeah. the internet research helpful or was it did you sort of give you too much information and confusing i i always wonder and i always want to you know help other people who are maybe listening to know because it can be a double-edged sword right you can learn too much or not know whether it's good information or not good information but you should be an advocate for your own health and come armed to your physicians with information you know when you sort of walk in the door and have good questions to ask so i'm curious about whether you found that helpful or not helpful i did i did find it helpful as as the you know, when you first go to a doctor, especially when you first go and they have a clear-cut answer and a treatment protocol and everything's, you know, the solution is readily apparent, then you just kind of give all your trust to the doctor and you just say, okay, they know what they're doing. This is easy for them. But as things progressed over time and it was less clear that they really knew what was going on and how to help me, it was almost like the responsibility started. I started taking on more of the responsibility for how, what I would do, what practices I, or what therapies I would try. I also looked into alternative therapies as well, like acupuncture and chiropractic treatments, just to see if there was anything that could help. So, yeah, so the the whole internet search you're talking about did, did start to become more prominent as time went by, and it did give me a more sense of responsibility. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. That when there was less certainty on the physician side then the responsibility slides over to you a little bit more. That's really a, it's a really good point. So you came into the hospital for special surgery. Yes, and they yep. came up with a diagnosis. They went right in. They said, we think we know what it is, and they did an injection. I let them do a cortisone injection into the hip joint, and the pain went away, and they said, you know, it's exactly what we think it is, which was some torn cartilage inside the hip that was showing up. The pain was referring out to the side of the leg. So three months later, got a surgery and thought I was cured for good. Eight months, no pain, back to work, back to my life. Everything was humming along. And eight months until eight months later, a flare-up happened again out of the blue. I have no really? Idea. Surprise. Jeez. Home free. Thought I was home free. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah. And then I was just finishing up. Uh, actually, I was just sitting at work, and all, I remember I was in a meeting, and all of a sudden I just started feeling the the sensation and the pain in uh, the hip, really light, but just like something's not right along that side of the leg. I'm going, oh no, you know, and this is after eight months of just relief, total relief from it, and then it just slowly built up again and again and again, and the doctors. <laughs> Didn't know what to do. We tried another surgery. We tried some more injections. We tried some different medicine. Uh, and it just, you know, for the next two years, we kind of, this was now, now we're into like 2009, 2010. We're just losing, I'm losing ground. You know, I'm losing ground mm. despite working with, you know, arguably the best hospital in in the country for orthopedic mm-hmm. or one of the best hospitals in the country, one of the best mm-hmm. doctors. All this guy does is look at hips, you know, and he just focuses mm-hmm. on how to help hips, and we're still, you know, and he's scratching his head now. So now I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, what, what is going to happen? 
what do I do now? Uh, yeah. And by 2011, the pain had become so much that I, I basically had to stop working. Um, I, I regressed to part-time and then pretty much had to leave my job on disability. Yeah, that's a tough emotional blow to feel like you're, hey, I'm done. This is great. I feel terrific. And then to have it, you know, kind of kind of taken away. That yeah. was, how were you dealing with that at, throughout? Or were you, you were still hopeful until, until you had to go out on disability? Yeah, I was, I was, I was still, I mean, one of the hardest parts for me emotionally was the roller coaster. It was one thing when it was getting worse and worse and worse and you're kind of like preparing yourself for it and you're kind of like, you're, you're readying yourself for it. But the worst was when I thought it was, the pain was gone and then it came back. You know, it was like yeah. I was so emotionally upturned and you know and and uh, confused and disoriented from that that it was so unexpected as opposed to something being you know where this injury i mean a lot of people have chronic pain it's you know it's an impact injury it's a car accident or something like that so they're it's that first initial wow what just happened to my life Um, mine was different in the sense where it's been this slow progression over years where i've always been kind of fighting it along the way um, but I've always been kind of ready for it. You know, I've always been emotionally slowly preparing myself for what's going on here. It wasn't, mm-hmm. but that was, that was the big flip on me was yeah. home free, back yeah. to doing what you're doing and no, you're not, you know. So. Yeah, that's a little nasty. Yeah. That was tough. That was tough. Yeah. And so what, did you have family and friends around you when that was going on to, to rely on, to sort of, to bank on, or did you just sort of gut it out or talk to a therapist or how were you dealing with that? I did time? start going to therapy. Yeah. yeah. At the time, my family's, I'm originally from Massachusetts and my family's pretty much all living in Massachusetts still. I'd moved to New Jersey in 2004. Uh, the injury happened in 2007. So I was building up a good, a good diverse group of friends and started most of it was a lot of it. Unfortunately was through a lot of the physical activities I did so as those activities started to dwindle and I couldn't do them as much, mm-hmm. um, the friendships, you know, we had the shared interests, but I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with what we were doing. So a lot mm-hmm. of the friendships kind of fell by the wayside and, and, and faded. And then when work went away too, a lot of my friendships mm-hmm. work kind of pulled away. So I started becoming more isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not, you know, I want to say not all friends. Definitely yeah. people were concerned and caring, but you just weren't in each other's lives as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also had a relationship. I was in a, I think I had three months. I was dating someone for three months before I got hurt. So, mm-hmm. and then we we tried to date. We dated for another seven or eight months. But after that time, eventually the injury was just, it was too distracting and really made it difficult to be in a relationship. So that ended as well. Yeah. So a lot of social connections just kind of disappeared. Yeah. It's tough, you know, that an injury can become another, like another person in a relationship sometimes. Yes. It very much did for me. That's for sure. It was, it was so difficult to give any attention to the other person in the relationship because there was like the injury was constantly drawing my attention. The pain is, it's like the hip was always, yeah, it was just like barking at me all the time, yelling at me mm-hmm. all the time. So, yeah, it was very difficult. Yeah, yeah it's tough. You know, you, you have to really work at it to know how to manage 
your how you're you know feeling emotionally and how you can bring that person into that process yet not overwhelm them and they have to be ready able to to deal with that as well and to separate themselves and you know take care of themselves but also take care of you but you take care of them it's just it's hard it's it's I think it was yeah. more me than it was her that that did the yeah. pulling away. I think I was the one struggling with it more than than she was. Yeah, it was definitely. Yeah, yeah it's in your case. You know, you, your job is one place where you and a lot of people have have much of their social experience. I know I did was wrapped up in my job, and so then having to walk away from my job was so much of my being and my my social life and. It's just that that's a, gone, you know. Yeah. And they were caring and and lovely, but you know they have to go on with their their lives, and you know I'm not in it every day, so you know it's sort of a it's just kind of gone. So right, um, and then you can't do the things that you know, like I can't go out to parties with you know friends or loud restaurants, and so you know I can't do the things I used to do, and you know go biking. Same, same as you. So those activities are sort of different. So you have to. So how do you? How do you? Uh, what do you do? Right. So how do you socialize if you're? Yeah. You know, I, tr- I was just trying to put so much effort and attention and energy into recovering and keeping my job and staying functional enough for my job that I wasn't putting any time into these other aspects of my life because I knew if the job went. The income would go, the house, you know, I had a little condo in New Jersey, and everything would get so much more complicated in addition to what was already happening. So I was just, I remember I would work all week, and then I'd literally just go home and ice um, and just lay down for the weekend so I could make it through the next week. You know, I was just, did very little socializing, very little anything, just trying to rebuild or drop the pain levels down so that I could get through another week, the following week. So, yeah, everything outside of work was kind of like just taking a back seat, and I was just like, I gotta keep somehow just keep doing this. And so, socializing, like you said, I wasn't even thinking of how do I socialize with chronic pain. I was thinking, how do I keep myself um, functional enough to keep my job at this point? Yep. Yeah. 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 Right. How do I recuperate? Yeah. Yes. And then it it was hard even to consider leaving the job because that was just so much what I was wrapped up to and I wasn't going to let it pain or my injury take over my life. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. It does. It's taken over your life on so many levels. And so by the time I went out on disability, now it's, you've got no, I've got no social life. I've got very, all my friendships and, and the relationships and my social interactions have all been kind of, backburnered for so long and now there's no job now i'm alone with pain you know in a very um which is not a good place to be yeah so what you were saying you know i went to therapy and i started talking to somebody and and now it's like what now yeah 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 wow that was smart that was smart though that you did that yeah i could feel i mean the depression was just getting yeah, it was becoming significant, you know, so I knew I had to, I just had to get help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so what, what kind of things did you start learning through that? 
so for that it was it was it was more about what can you do as opposed to what can't you do so here's the whole you know you you've you've kind of hit this point where once the job was gone i had to sell my home i couldn't afford that anymore because um you know social security doesn't doesn't pay much that's for sure not enough yeah. to, to live outside yeah. of new york city uh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I went back and my family was nice enough, um, several of my family members were nice enough to help me, let me stay in guest rooms, um, back up here, back up in the Worcester area of Massachusetts. So they all Worcester, had homes that were close to each other. Worcester. Yeah, yeah Worcester. Worcester. And so I went, so I kind of packed up my life in New Jersey and then went back to Massachusetts and it was kind of like, okay, what's next? And it was actually a really good move because the one thing it did right off the bat was it put me around people again. So mm-hmm. I was around my family. I was around some old friends, some really close friends from before when I was hurt. So mm-hmm. who lived in town and, and connected with some people that way. So right off the bat, there was an improvement uh, in terms of socialization, which I, th- I think was huge in, in helping me yeah. kind of get my feet back on the ground and start to yeah. start to do things. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, family or friends, to have them immediately around is, is, yeah. is huge. So it's not so much work to get it done yourself. Right, exactly. It was it was very convenient. It was everybody understood. Uh, as soon as, you know, they had, they had kind of seen my deterioration over the, over the previous four years. So they were very helpful and a lot of them came down and actually helped me during certain parts of, of the, uh, of what I was going through with some like surgeries, you know, they were helping me bring in, get me back and forth into the, into the city and stuff. So yeah, so it was like a nice comfortable fit and there was no expectations. It was just do what you need to do and we're here for you when you need us, you know, and then do what you can. So that was that was great. Yeah, that's fantastic. What great great support. That's fantastic. Yeah, and that's and it's yeah, that's kind of what what helps. So the next, so then it was like, what did I, what should I do? And I just kind of once I kind of got my feet on the ground, I got a place, you know, my own place, eventually an apartment in Worcester, and Worcester. <laughs> and then uh, and then I I happened to talk to a a friend from New Jersey who had published a couple of books. And she's like, well, why don't you try writing? And at the time, I had been studying for uh, some engineering. I was trying to stay on top of engineering, trying to learn some computer design and some project management online coursework and just trying to figure out, is there any way I could ever go back to this just in case a solution did come up? And she's like, why don't you try writing? You can do it at your own pace. Uh, she had self-published, like I said, a couple of uh, couple of memoirs. And I said, and she said it's also therapeutic. A lot of people with chronic pain will will journal, will write things, and it's helpful. Aha! Uh-huh. So yeah. had she gone through any kind of thing, or how did she know sort of a therapeutic thing for people with chronic pain? I think she had a very mild brain injury that, uh-huh. yeah, I think it affected her for several months. I don't, and I think that's what happened. I don't know if that's when she started writing, but she was in, involved, I think. So she was involved with people who had brain injuries, and I think it was through, I think it was through strokes. Um, mm-hmm. So she was part of it, maybe it was an aphasia support group, I think. 
There was someone mm. close in her family with it. Yeah. So she knew kind of about, I don't know if it was chronic pain, but it was more TBI related. And I don't know if that's what sparked her to write, but somehow she knew in her writing, and maybe it was in a writing group that she had been in. She was in a couple of different writing groups in, in town back in New Jersey. Um, but she said, yeah, this, this might be help more than this might be a good, this might be beneficial to you therapeutically and creatively, you know, get you, get you doing something again. Yeah. Had you ever written before other than, you know, just like engineering journals or anything like that? No, no, everything no. was very technical and yeah, very precise and incredibly <laughs> boring and non-compelling. Yes, definitely <laughs> <laughs> not creative writing at all. So I, I, I did take her advice and I just started writing about some, something, you know, some of the physical therapy appointments that I'd been through, some very basic trying to learn how to lay out a scene and characters and just approaching it from a creative standpoint. Uh, and I slowly built up from there. And I, and as I started to write, I did, I did enjoy the creative process and the creative, uh, thinking that it, it made me you know, made me made me do for this as opposed to the technical writing, which is very clear cut and dry. Um, I like, yeah, I like the more free form part of this. And so what I did was I started writing about my experience and what was happening. And then I thought of other people who had gone through it. I knew my sister-in-law had been in a car accident in her early 20s and she had, she's living with chronic pain. Um, she had been disabled from that injury. And there was another friend of mine um, who I grew up with. His name was Stephen, a childhood friend lived right down the street from me, who had um, a traumatic brain injury from an industrial uh, accident where he fell uh, 50 feet and landed on his head at his where he worked at his job. So he was, and he, yeah. So he, and I mean, he had other things besides the traumatic brain injury, but that was, I think, the most damaging. Uh, injury of from his fall so i started thinking i'm like well maybe I, you know maybe i'll just write about different people who have who've been injured young injured early on in their in their lives relatively early on in their lives and just see where it goes you know no goals no anything uh and just just to get the experience and as i wrote more and more about steven because we had been friends for so long i started to see a story forming about us uh, and just us. And I had so many memories of him before the accident. And then during the accident, you know, right after the accident, we weren't sure if he was going to survive and all the, you know, the, the the drama that surrounded that. And then I've seen him, This his accident occurred in 1990. I've seen him over the last, it's been what, almost 30 years now, um, how, mm-hmm. what's happened since then. And I thought, wow, I think I've got a story here. I think I've got a, a real like a memoir, you know, that could that could fill a full, uh, be a, a book in itself. And so I started writing that out. And I sent some of the my early writings to my friend uh, in New Jersey, the writer, Ethel, her name's Ethel. And she took a look at it and she said, this is great. You know, she she said, yeah, this is, this is a really interesting story. Um, I, I think you've got some, some basic skills that you could, you could, further develop and become, you know, a better writer. Uh, and she said she'd be happy to, to help me with that. Uh, so she kind of, you know, made a list of all these books I should read and start studying and learning from. And, and so I did. And it just kind of caught fire from there. 
and that's that was in 2000. Let's see, I moved back home in 2012, right around the beginning of 2014, after I got settled in the new apartment and all that. Um, is when I really started kicking in on the writing. She was really a mentor through it all. Yeah. Ethel was Ethel mentored me through that early process, kind of laid out the, the writing basics 101 for me, where I should be looking. It sounds like it. And to have somebody who would mentor you, and it, I feel like that you were particularly open to that opportunity that maybe, you know, other people might not be. You know, you're sort of, you're discovering a new life, you know, moving back to Wooster and getting your own place and I guess trying to figure out what you're going to do with things so you're ready to experiment. How did this particular thing hit you as something to try? Because I could do it physically. I think that was the main Uh, thing. There was so much I couldn't do. And I was just like, she's right. You know, she can write. I I had actually thought of, is there any way I could be a technical writer? And I looked up jobs on Indeed, and I had done some grant writing in the past, and everybody seemed to want full-time, or you had to go into an office, and I mean, maybe I should give you a little baseline of where I'm at now, where the injury is, it's like sitting and standing um, for 30 minutes. Sitting is the hardest for me. Uh, 30 minutes is typically the max I can do before I've got to change positions. And I've got to give it at least a 30-minute break before I can try sitting again. So before the pain, and then the pain starts building up over the course of the day. Standing is better. Usually I can stand. If I lean and move around a little bit, it can go from anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, sometimes even a little bit more, depending on, you know, what time of the day, if I'm having a good day or a bad day. And lying down typically allows the pain to calm down if I haven't pushed it too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, I kind of call it like if I don't send it off into a hip migraine, where it just is like, okay, I'm done with you. We're done for two days, you know. Where I've, yeah. I've tried to sit too much and walk too much and stand too much, and it's like, okay, we're, I'm shutting down, you know. Yeah. So as long mm-hmm. as I pace myself with sitting, standing, lying down, and go through this little routine throughout the day with not overstressing the hip, we. I can keep pain levels, say, you know, at a max of four, under under five. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I couldn't find a job. You know, when you're asking what, why yeah. did I go with writing, I couldn't find anything that would allow me to go into an office and just, oh, I got to lie down. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I'm, done. I, yeah. I'm, in real, yeah. I'm in trouble. Where, where's, where's, the, where's the bed? Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I think it, Social Security was like, okay, yeah, we have to. You're definitely, you know, definitely qualified for disability benefits yeah. because you can't stand or, stand or sit, you know, for exactly. Everything. I can I can understand to some degree. How do you do you do you have like a, a a timer in your head that sort of says, okay, I've been sitting for enough time now, I have to stand up and walk around, or or how have you figured out how to manage it? Yeah, I mean, the hip usually lets me know. It's almost like clockwork. So I start to feel, I'm like, oh. You know, I'm starting to feel pain. I'll look up and it'll be 30 minutes almost on the dot or 20, you know, 25 minutes, 35 minutes. And it's starting to tell me. So, okay, stand up, you know, and then mm-hmm. 30 minutes later, okay, it's starting to calm down. Let's try sitting some more. So I do 
yeah, when I'm like at my desk at home uh, or on the computer, I do, I do make a note now. And now it's instinctive to just look at the clock and calculate 30 minutes out. And that's when I got to get up. Yeah. So the, is it hard to, to make yourself stop? Like if, what if you're in this great paragraph and it's like, oh, yes. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. And the mornings are usually easier than the afternoons. In the afternoons, I remember, you know, there's so many times I've come across like, oh, I've got these, yeah, you're just flowing and your things are moving and I have to go like lay down and I print everything out and I go lay down on the floor and I just start, you know, writing on stuff while I'm, while I'm recovering, you know, because I don't want to lose all the good thoughts that are in my head. Right. But you understand, you, you know the price you'll pay if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I find that very difficult to do, the stopping in midstream, even though I know I'm going to have a, a wicked headache later on. It's just still hard. It's yeah. It's just still hard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so we got the book, and you've found it to be therapeutic, and you've been thinking about Stephen. As you've been thinking about Stephen, while you're writing the book, you've been reconnecting with him as a friend, thinking about yeah. your scenario and his scenario the challenges you guys have. Yes. And, and it, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was very eye opening because Stephen and I have had completely different experiences um, with our disabilities or our injuries where his was in the blink of an eye at the age of 21, he had the accident and his life changed forever on that spot. And he was, you know, and we, we, we kind of joked that he was lucky to be disabled. He was just lucky to be alive, you know, so mm. he's, he's lucky he's doing anything. Um, and then there's mine, which I feel like I'm almost like unlucky where it was a slow degenerative, <clears throat> excuse me, um, years took over years of time that this pain just slowly built up. Uh, and so almost like we call it like the bookend of, injuries where there's one guy who's just lucky to be alive but he's still very much debilitated and there's one guy who just should have gotten better but he he didn't you know for some reason Mm -hmm. he's just and now he's debilitated and dealing with a lot of stuff and so we're so far apart on this spectrum but yet I looked at what he was dealing with as I started to research and talk to him about you know what happened afterwards and and here he is with problems with isolation and loneliness problems with what do you do for an occupation income? What do you do for socialization? What do you do for activities? What do you, what do you do for your life, you know, afterwards? And these, these kind of categories or aspects of life, I should say, kind of jumped out at me and said, I'm having the same problems. <laughs> How can that be? Right. Right. And so, you know, and he's got 30 years of experience behind him. So as I looked at him, now Stephen's, the reason I wrote the book and the reason that really fueled me from moving moving forward the book is what he's done with so little. And I look at him and I would say, Stephen built a life over pain, as you would say, a life, a full, meaningful, joyful life, and yet he still has traumatic brain injury. He deals with chronic pain. Um, he's disabled. You know, he, um, he has, what do you call it, the hemiparesis, like half his body is really struggles moving and, and working with that, his difficulty understanding when he talks. Um, so he, you look at him and you know he's, he's uh, you know, he's been injured. 
but yet you look at his life and I see that he's, he's, I would say, you know, it's, it's inspirational what he's done with, with how little he's had to work with since the injury. Mm-hmm. Right. The, so, the significance of the change that he's had to deal with. Yes. The significance yeah. of the change. Right. Yeah. So when I looked at that, I said, well, what, you know, what did he do? What did he do? How did he do it? And how did he get to build this life over pain, you know, despite a severe, I would call him a severe case, a very challenging case for, for someone, anyone. So when I looked at that, I was, you know, I started writing and setting up the book to kind of hopefully illustrate that. And then for someone like me, where it's just happening to, where I'm, I'm feeling very disoriented at the time and very confused about what now, you know, like that question happens, what now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I kind of feel like yeah. I'm asking myself that, that, you know, like every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think in, in just terms of trying to organize this and how to do this, I think, you know, when we get hurt, there's two ways you can go. When, when an injury happens, you can either recover, like we all hope to do. We all hope to get back to our lives where there's a return, you know, recovery is a return back to, before the injury, and that's what we all try to do. Uh, and then yep. the other path is a non-recovery story. Uh, so in that case, what happens is it a reinvention, uh, is it a reimagining, a new life is what basically the injury changes you so much that you, you can no longer be the person you were before the injury, and now it's a, it's a different thing. And I think Stephen's a good example of, reinventing a life and that's that's what i was looking at Mm -hmm. and that's what i saw with him and so in terms of that i i kind of broke it up into different things and aspects and the first thing i saw was you have to know what you can do like we were talking about Um, you have to try to optimize your health your body, your mind, whatever's been injured as best you can, right? So there is usually some recovery to some extent. You know, maybe I feel like I'm at about 50% of maybe what I was, what I could do physically before the injury. Um, 50%? Maybe 50, 60%, yeah. So it's, you know, when when I look at the, the, the challenges with sitting and standing and the basic functions, whenever I do these physical therapy tests where they want to know, where you were at, it always comes out about, you know, 50%, 60% where I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I get that evaluation. Like you said, you learn what you can handle, what your brain, your body can't handle, and then um, do everything you can, whether it's acupuncture, massage, physical therapy, medicine, doctor, whatever treatments can get you. If it's another 5%, I would take it in a heartbeat, you know, I'll do whatever, whatever I need to. And then try to get up to this. Fifty percent is your max. Okay, I'm. I'm a. This is who the new me is. It's fifty percent of what I was before, and start from there. At least I know I can do this. I can't sit for long. I can't stand for long. But if I can lie down, I can. I can do more throughout the day if I pace myself than if I just try to bull through it. And so I think there's this kind of a. There's there's that whole process for each one of us, you know, whether it's traumatic brain injury or chronic pain. Yeah, it's a that's a process of acceptance too, right? Yes. Oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. 
And how how did you get there? Was it really sort of the process of writing writing and journaling and and actually you know talking to your sister in law and to sort of just kind of balance yourself? Was that part of it? Yeah, it was it was kicking and screaming. You know, I got to say, yeah. honestly, I I didn't go with dignity, and that's for sure. And great, <laughs> it, was, it was it was yeah, a lot of uh, crying and tantrums, and no, 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 this is not happening. But it was it was actually um, when I came up to Massachusetts, I met a physical therapist here who really positive person uh, um, named Susie, and and she's she's been doing it for like twenty five thirty years, so very experienced, very good, and she helped me with some of the some of the stuff I was dealing with. But she she kind of kind of sunk in when she was talking about I think it was like her daughter. Uh, and Susie has uh, her daughter was struggling with some injury and trying to make a team, and and Susie has her own back and sciatic nerve issues, so it's kind of similar to what I was dealing with in a sense. And she started calling her kid like a Plan B kid, you know. She started saying, "Look, my, you know, she's everything that she tries to do. It's it's always Plan B. We keep Plan A never works, so you always got to go to Plan B." And she, you know, we were just talking while she was working on me. And, and for some reason, that kind of sunk in. And she was, you know, at one point, I think she might have asked me, you know, what's your plan? Are you still on your plan A? And, you know, obviously, my plan A had been blown out of the water. And that kind of started doing the whole perspective change, I think, within me mentally. And then with the writing, helping that kind of gave me a sense of, okay, maybe there is a plan B out there. Maybe there's some things I can do if I can't be an engineer anymore and I can't play basketball and be athletic and all that uh, as well. So, yeah, right around that time, that's, that's I think, where acceptance started started creeping in. Yeah. That's a, it's a wonderful way to, to consider it, is to think about are you still in your plan A? Because even, even if you don't have a chronic pain or, or any kind of physical issue, who is still on their plan A? You know, right. your, your right. plan A never pans out. <laughs> you always have to modulate your what you're looking at. So there is uh, something to be said for that. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So we we kind of took that and 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 ran with it. I think that kind of gave it the momentum. Reinvention and. And then um, looking at Stephen's life, another aspect that came into our, for me, you know, I think with with this this Plan B or whatever you want to call it, was I had lost a lot of interests and activities, which kind of branch out into social connections and, and meeting people and doing things you really enjoy. When I got hurt, so as you mentioned in the intro, I was athletic and, and active. You know, I think I was very active. We just just growing up as an active kid, you know, it just kind of carried off into it, carried on into adulthood. So before I got hurt, I was into like that, like I said, basketball, hiking, dancing, tennis, uh, biking, just go, you know, moving. And then afterwards, you know, I, I can't really do much of anything. So with reinvention, I think it's still important to have those interests and hobbies to try to do what actually we all have certain things that we we gravitate towards and makes us tick, you know, that we really are naturally interested in. Mm-hmm. So 
so I think I had to kind of figure things out as to what I could do. So now, you know, I can swim, for example. So I I went and learned how to do some basic strokes in the pool, and I can do that, you know, and so that's been great. I can walk for about 30 minutes, you know, so I take walks Uh around the neighborhood daily and and get out there and try to walk with family and friends as well if if they're up for, you know, a short walk. Got to get your steps in. Everybody's got to get their (laughs) steps in. Yeah, you know, you live in New York City, right? That's all you do is walk. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Right. And then uh and then physical therapy has shown me a lot of strength training exercises I can do without aggravating the hip and actually helping the core and I'm supposed to keep my core very strong and, and you know, my lower back very strong and legs so which has helped. So I can still be active in a very in a very different way, but it still mm-hmm. helps me, you know, with who I am. Um and then with basketball with what I've done with not being able to play basketball anymore. I've actually gotten into youth coaching, volunteering as a, a youth basketball coach. So where I can't play like I used to, there are some local leagues where it's only practices are only about an hour long, which I can handle standing, you know, moving around. And yeah. the level is such that I really don't, I don't have to run or do, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I can just talk and use kids to kind of show what, what we need to, what I'm trying to teach them. Um, yeah. So there's there's that as well. And then, you know, so that kind of keeps me connected with something I, yeah. I did pretty much my whole life. Yeah. How old are the kids? They're junior high school. Yeah. And some of them are elementary school, so it's been in that range. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The younger yeah. kids are, are real funny. Just trying to get them to shoot at the right basket is, is an accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. They just run around as a little pack, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's great. But that yeah. that kind of thing, it sounds sounds like it's also you know, it it's a little bit of purpose driven too. You know, it gives you a little reward um to be doing something, giving something back. Um I find that that's something that's important to me. You know, I can do hobby type things that are really important for me to do as activities to for value and to get out there in the world and all those things that you just described are really important. But I I also find that, you know, going to volunteer, there's this this uh, organization that makes meals for people who can't get, get out to get them. And just going to do that, it's a, it's a little bit like coaching, right? You just it's yeah. it's like I'm doing something for somebody else and not just focusing on myself all the time and just really helps as I as I as I try and figure out what my my new reinvention is gonna be and you know what my my plan B means. Right. Yeah, I think that's important for all of us, even though we've been, you know, limited or changed or whatever, I think it's still important to find interests, things to do and not just you know, uh, I don't know what the alternative would be if you didn't, if you didn't find interest yeah. in hobbies. You know, what would you watch TV? I guess, yeah. That's, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that sounds boring. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you got to get out in the world. I, and it, you know, it sounds like you really found you know wonderful things to to be able to do. You know, to keep you and and they're also you know they're really active too. You, you know, you you might not be running up and down the the court with these little boys 
and girls, but that you're that you're there and it's active and you know you're getting out and and doing this stuff. It's just, it, it sounds like it. Yeah. It it hits a part of your you know your brain and your heart that's that you you still need to hit. Right. Yeah. It's definitely one of. Yeah, it's one of the things I think that makes life enjoyable and yeah, makes it happen. Makes makes it meaningful. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so you've reconnected with uh, old friends back up there too. Yes, yeah. So that's a, another thing I saw with Stephen is he always stayed connected with family and friends. And that was probably the strongest when you look at what had happened to him, what he had going for him the most was his family, you know, and his, especially his family, but it's his friends too. And that's how I feel coming back here. Like I said, it was, it was not something I ever expected to be coming back to Milbury, but I, um, it really was a blessing. So I, I, um, yeah, reconnect with old friends, uh, family. I actually met and reconnected with an old, uh, an old girlfriend uh-huh. who was from my used to date in graduate school. And we met, as I was going through a major crisis in my life with the health, she was, she was going through a divorce and oh. yeah, um, yeah, through uh, a divorce right around the same time as I was coming back. So we kind of commiserated and totally, you know, caught up. I hadn't seen her in 15 years. Um, and then we started dating, uh, and not sh- shortly afterwards after reconnecting and, and I'd been with her since since uh, 2000, yeah, 2011, 2012. Wow. So so that really helped fill in some more of the social connections. And, and as, as these social connections get stronger, I just felt that it, it just felt like, you know, life got fuller, life started to grow again, as opposed to it felt like it was yeah. really shrinking, you know, yep. and, and the depression kind of, the more connected I think we are with others, the more, um, the happier we are. I think it's just, mm-hmm. it's just in our, we're social, social beings. Yeah. I think the more you sort of talk to yourself, the, the more you can, you can talk yourself into a hole. And, and the more you just, I, I feel, um, maybe that's not true for everybody, but it's what can happen to me. And so the more I can just get myself around other people. I'm so glad, congratulations that, that you've found this woman. This is really, wonderful and that you've been able to bond is there was it hard to sort of get yourself involved in these other things or or to figure out that those were the things to to do or did did you you and your girlfriend do them together or or how did how did they come about it was yeah it was i mean she's been really understanding and i like i said in the the relationship i had in new jersey i was the one that was <laughs> not understanding what was happening to me uh, yeah so I had to come to a better place in terms of relationships and how I was going to function in a relationship because uh, there are challenges on so many levels when when you're injured, as 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 you know, as as you mentioned. So yeah. she's worked with me, and I can give you like for example, you know, she's been she's been um, very understanding and patient, but like we can't go to a movie together. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't sit through a movie, so we've been together seven years, and I can't take her out to a movie. I can't take her to a traditional restaurant dining. So what we so what we do is we we try to work around it and go to places with high tables uh, oh. or bar. 
So yeah. I can stand at the bar. Yeah. And then when the food comes, I'll sit any, and then when the food, when we're done, I can, I'll stand again and we'll, we'll, we can do that and work around that for a couple hours. And then usually that's, that's our date, you know, and that's how we date. Um, yeah. so we, we've all these different ways of when we try to do things, you know, if we have to go drive somewhere, she'll drive. I'll lay the car seat back so I can save my sitting if we're going into Boston or something like that or going on a little trip. Um, anything that can get keep me more functional and so that we can enjoy the time together. So there's all these things we've worked out over the years to to make it happen, you know, to make it to make it work. Yeah, it takes a team. Yeah, exactly. It takes yeah, mm-hmm. it takes a yeah. team to work with you. Yeah, which I'm so great. Yeah. yeah, I'm very grateful for. Yeah, yeah, my husband has to do that with me too. We have, you know. Little things we sit down, we go through my schedule. He's like, oh, you got a couple too many things on this day. Maybe you want to think about that. He helps me, you know, yeah. dial myself back because I don't like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. You want to go, yeah. right? You just want to go exactly. and enjoy. Yeah, yeah exactly. I don't have to plan all this. All right, if we go here, then if I lay down here, you know, when we, draw, when we pull up and I lay down, then we can go in for 30 minutes. And it's like, oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Like holy smokes! But yeah, yeah, you make it work, and it takes a team. Yeah, it's better than better than the alternative of not going out and not doing anything. So exactly, that's exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and then it just becomes routine, and you have a good time, and so it works. I'm yes. so glad that. So I've made the change mentally. Like I said before, I wasn't okay with what was happening to me, and I wasn't okay with being in a relationship. To being okay with accepting help, accepting people working around me and what I can do and I've, I guess I've yeah I've taken it on and, and worked with it so yeah so that I can be in a relationship with someone because it's it's what really um, I think it really helps make life more enjoyable well it's a lovely thing you just said so with the, the, the connections, the social connections, so there's the romantic relationships and then the friendships. And I've also found, I don't know if you found this, but I found um, support groups have been a great a great resource to have when you're going through this in terms of, and, and mostly with chronic pain, it's hard. To, I think it's hard for people to meet up sometimes. So I've done mostly virtual support groups through Facebook. It's been a big one for me. But I think that's a great way to stay connected. So what if you don't have family and friends close by and you're in pain or you're dealing with traumatic brain injury? I think it's been so much, it's, it's such a benefit to be connected with people. I think the, um, I think the, the internet can really help with that. That, that's really interesting because chronic pain support groups are really hard to find. So is it, do you just search on Facebook for chronic pain support groups? Yes. Yep. You can okay. just do a group search under groups, and there are groups with thousands and thousands of people in there. Yeah. Wow. And some oh, of them just yeah. feed when they just want to vent and they just want to talk about what a horrible day they're having. Other people are talking about, I found this and I found that, and, and people are just connecting, being friendly with each other. And it's, yeah, it's a great, I think it's a great resource to have out there. Oh, that's great. That, that's really good to know because uh, I, I haven't tried virtual support groups before. I've, I've only 
than live ones. And so they, which are, I find very helpful, which is, of course, that's how I thought about doing this podcast was because the stories and, and things that people would say in, in the support groups are so helpful. I was like, well, we should tell these stories. People's stories should get out there so other people can know. And so here you go. Yes. So that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's really, that's really great. Yeah. So that, yeah, I would just mention that in terms of the, you know, in terms of the social part of, of building up your plan B where you're limited in how to socially interact. I think that's, that's a great resource that's, that's really, really out there to take advantage of. Yeah, that's fantastic. And then the last, yeah, one other thing in terms of rebuilding a life or reinventing is with occupation. So what do you do when you can't do your job that you, that you did before the injury? And I think there's a lot of resources out there. First and foremost, you can always volunteer, which I think is what Steven's taken on. And he's he's been doing this for 20 years at a local school helping as a teacher's aide. And I think if that's, if that's what, you know, if, if that's what you uh, can handle in terms of your abilities and your limitations and your challenges, then he's still, it's still been very rewarding to him. He gets to interact with all the kids. So he's got this great positive and he looks forward to it as if it were, you know, a paid job. And he's done it as, since the injury, I think probably for about 20 years since he could get back up when he was back up and running. Um, but what I found, so there's always volunteering. There's also um, there's a lot of vocational rehabilitation services out there through the state or nonprofit organizations or just other agencies in general. Uh, and I've been helped by our state agency up here in Massachusetts, along with Easter Seals, um, Easter Seals Foundation organization. Uh, you have to go through a process. You have to apply for for, benefit, for assistance, and then they'll look at your file. They'll see what you can and you can't do from an occupational standpoint. And then they have these career counselors who will go in and who are familiar with all types of different jobs that are out there who will start looking for you. And at the same time, they also have uh, assistive technology uh, specialists who will see if there's anything that they can do for you to make you more functional. And they, they helped me a lot with that in terms of setting up an office for me at home where I can sit at a desk, I can stand at a desk, and I can actually lay down um, and work on a computer. So there's three positions I can get into in my office where they actually bought me a small couch, uh, a little monitor, and that's connected to my laptop wirelessly. So while I'm laying down, the monitor sits up on a stand. I don't know if you can picture this, but I'm basically lying on a small couch with my wireless keyboard on a little tray, and uh, you know above my lap, and and the um, and the monitor above me showing me what's on my laptop, which is over on my desk. So oh. they did that for me. Wow! Wow! That wow! That sounds like incredibly futuristic and very cool yeah yeah i was i had no idea that this was out there so i just wanted to kind of say this that there are agencies out there the state funds these agencies because obviously the state wants people the governments want people back to work as much as they can handle you know they're paying taxes Mm -hmm. and they're 
it, I think it just sets up a, a very much more positive life for everybody. Um, you know, you're working, you're contributing. I think we're naturally happier when we're when we're doing things that you know when we're working and, and helping others. Uh, so they set me up with this home office, and then the the vocational rehabilitation counselor helped me find a job where I was helping disabled people find work. So they, oh. um, yeah, so there was, it was a company that was, that works with basically the agency that was helping me and the company, all they do is job searches for people with special needs and it could be traumatic brain injuries. It could be autism. It could be anything. It could be students. It could be um, older people, all age groups. And basically I, I will scour the internet for these people and, and notify their caseworkers or um, career resource specialists about any opportunities, any managers, and then try to set up interviews and applications and then applications and get them in the door with whatever position that suits their skills and abilities. So I never have to leave home. Everything's remote. I make a little money and I'm doing something, you know, so it's, it's something that I'm doing something I can handle. Right. They've set you up in your home with a work scenario that not so the job you can handle and you have the technology in order to allow you to handle it. This is, this is great because I, I would never have known had you not said that the Easter Seals people can do this and, and that these rehab vocational people can do this stuff. I would never have known that kind of services out there. Or even to ask, you know, what kind of services are out there. So this is huge. This is really great. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many more out there. Like, these are just the two that I found. In Massachusetts, if any of your listeners are, it's the Massachusetts Rehabilitation Commission. And there's Easter Seals, Mass locations in uh, Boston and Worcester that they can, that have assistive technology labs. And they'll work together for help. I don't know about the other states. I've looked, and Easter Seals has... Um, it looks like they have offices in most of the states up and down the East Coast, so they're pretty pretty prevalent. Yeah, I've heard about them all my life, but that's fantastic. It's fantastic. Oh, God, Chris, this is great. I'm so glad that you shared this. This is really helpful. Yeah, I'm happy to share. I'm glad. Like, I didn't know it going through, going through the process either, so, yeah, I think it's all – I wish I did. I wish I did. Yep. What you, knew, what you wish you knew earlier. Right. Chris. I have one more question for you. What's the name of your book? <laughs> the name of the book is, is The Sidelines. And the so, Sidelines. The Sidelines, yep. Since uh, Stephen and I grew up as uh, basketball buddies, he's kind of the one that taught me how to play basketball when I was early in my you know, junior high adolescence. And, uh, yeah, I figured The Sidelines is kind of a, a nice ring to it when you're disabled. It kind of feels like you're stuck on the sidelines and that sort of mm. Yes, it does. Mm. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's a great title. I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much, Chris. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your, your sharing your story. It's, it's, it's just a wonderful, wonderful reinvention story. And, and you're just so far on your way. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to call it plan B. I just want to, I, I want to call it, I want to call it, uh, Bonus, Chris. 
<laughs> I like that. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate. Yeah, I really appreciate talking to you, and I really appreciate listening to your podcast. It's, I think this is great what you're doing. Wow, thank you so much. It's really, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful to my friend for sharing a rich, rich story. I hope that you found value in it. And if you have, please rate this podcast well. Doing so will improve our ranking in search results on all platforms. That makes it easier for other people who may be in need of a little inspiration to find these stories. And here's a massive thank you to the amazing Emily Billigas, who graciously composed and recorded the lovely theme music for Life Over Pain. If you want to find more of her theme music, I've added a link to her music on the show notes. Find more Life Over Pain episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast content.